Live inside Twin Peaks for Monday Night Football, it's Cofield and Company. Crumfield, shotgun, claps his hands, fires on the far side, it's caught by Ricky White to the five, still on his feet, he's in for a touchdown! Wow! What an effort by White, he did a pirouette and got into the end zone. Quick throw, Renfro at the 39, backs out of it, goes forward, he's hitting the Rolls ball, again. fumbled again! It's Murphy down the far sideline, and Arizona scores to win it in overtime! He's just gonna dribble it across half court. The ball is in the air. The Las Vegas Aces have won their very first WNBA championship. It's time for Cofield and Company with Steve Cofield on ESPN Las Vegas. The Battleborn Hour right here on Cofield and Company. Willie Ramirez is here. Raiders insider Paul Gutierrez from ESPN.com. Here is Twin Peaks on Eastern in Henderson. Lots of good stuff to talk about today. Lots of good stuff. And maybe not the Raiders so much. we got the Big Four on the way. You heard a UNLV highlight on the way back. We'll talk a little Nevada football later in the hour. And, of course, the Aces win the WNBA title. Let's do it. Battleborn Injury Lawyers presents The Big Four at Four Number Four Aces win the title, Willie And immediately you jump to Alright, now it's time for multiple titles Do you think they're in a decent position to win multiple titles? I sent this over because (laughs) my AP colleague, Doug Feinberg, wrote the story in that the Aces are poised to contend and capture multiple WNBA titles because they've locked up their their big stars. Asia Wilson, Chelsea Gray, Kelsey Plum, they're all signed. And you have Becky Hammond, which has turned the franchise into, you know, they – you know, all due respect to what Lambeer and um, and his name is Dan. I can't think of his last name, but who's now with the, in Atlanta? But the, he was a GM. They built this franchise. They built this roster. And I don't like to say, well, they came in and you know set roster. Uh, it, sort of, uh, you're familiar with that with uh, what John Gruden did yeah. right in Tampa Bay. But uh, Becky Hammond changed the mindset of right. these ladies. She really right. did instill a different sort of mindset. And, they, and, they, and, and they she became, changed their style. And they, the, the style changes yeah. big, and they became a better character team. Yes. Uh, Liz Cambage is a nightmare. And, you know, <laughs> trying to play big basketball and throw it inside 40 times is stupid. You play FIBA basketball, like Becky Hammond learned, you know, from Pop. Right. And they're a more athletic well, team, and you can get a couple of point guards on the floor. By the way, the other angle on this one is MD – was in Connecticut, right? Yeah. He wasn't at he wasn't at the Raiders game. Mm-hmm. Do you have a chance to talk to him no, after the title? I, I haven't talked to him since, but I talked to him last week in LA the the night before the Raiders opened in uh, at the Chargers, and he had told me at the time that his decision was made easier because uh, you know it was Josh McDaniels' first game as Raider head coach. The Aces were home; they got a rabbit home advantage. He felt like he wouldn't be missed there. But he did tell me if the, the WNBA Finals go to a game four on Sunday, he'd have to be there because it would be a deciding game. One way or the other, he wanted to be there. So he was there. You see the video. He's jumping up. He's celebrating. And he told me, you know, this is not a hobby for him. He's all in. These are professional athletes. Uh, he loves everything that this team does. He, he loves the game, especially women's basketball, so much 
more uh, just technical. So many much much more sound basketball going on. So he was in it to win it. And the thing that I that I liked about it and that showed from his perspective, he, he gave the props to, to Vegas' sporting history. As he said, look, Vegas has won a basketball title before. You saw that. And he pointed at me. He said, you saw that with Jerry Tarkanian and the Rebels back in the day. Hopefully we can do it a second time. They do it. Uh, I'm sure Mark is thrilled with them winning the title, but <laughs> with what happened with the Raiders yesterday, I'm sure it kind of squashes a little bit. But yeah. let them celebrate, let them go to the parade, and then figure everything else out. So this is kind of interesting. You sent out a tweet last week, and the Aces have kind of embraced it by going against what you sent out. Uh, you had tweeted out, hey, there's been seven professional sports championships in the past in Las Vegas. The <laughs> Graphic that was sent out by the Aces says, first ever, in big bold lettering, major professional sports team to win a championship for Las Vegas. I understand what they're saying here. Yeah. Before you guys comment, I'm just I'm gonna we have we have partnerships with the Aces, we have <laughs> partnerships with the Aviators. I know the Aviators have repeatedly said over the years we are professional sports. I'm just gonna say to the Aces folks, this is not truly embracing Las Vegas. This. First ever, because I think they're addressing what you had tweeted out. Right. The aviators have been part of this community, and their power brokers have been part of this community and important parts of this community for a long time. I wouldn't poke this bear. Yeah. I, I don't think it's worth a fight. It, it's just strange to me, guys, and, and part of the reason why I, I tweeted what I tweeted was I had seen a couple of, of, and again, people in the industry that I respect, I know, and I think they're good. They're very young, and, and they tweeted out, the Aces are one win away from winning in Las Vegas' first pro championship like no that's not factually actually true now the dust devils of the cisl may be in the dustbin of the title that's professional those guys were paid danny barber was a star soccer player at unlv yep. on that team um the star the aviators when they were the stars they won the pcl title in 86 and 88 mark wade and and uh freddie banks won the 1988s uh um uh, Silver Streaks title for was it the IB not the WBL. IBL the WBL so and then you had you know the the Locos won a couple of uh, UFL titles too now does that pale in comparison to the WNBA that's where we start walking a fine line because I'm not trying to diminish what the ladies did what they did was phenomenal I would go forward and say from my perspective what the Aces did was they gave they won the most high profile professional sports championship in Las Vegas team sports history it's just a mouthful. But if you're going to get into it, that's what you got to do, in my opinion. I'm going to tell you what Paul did. Number three. I'm going to tell you what Paul did not only for Las Vegas, not only what he did for – I'm just going to tell you what he did for the WNBA. I hope it's good. Okay, because here's the deal. <laughs> I saw plenty of tweets from smaller, the bloggies type, whatever. You know, I'm not taking away from – they were in a press credential. You're part of the media. I get it. But those who were saying, don't diminish and take away what these ladies are doing by, by having to put these technicality words in there. You know what? When the Associated Press and ESPN and all these other people are now, they're saying the first major. Guess what? Prior to all this talk, prior to that tweet, were we ever calling the WNBA a major right. pro sports league, or was it the NHL, Major League Baseball, NFL, and NBA, the big four? And then it was, well, then the WNBA and then some of these others. They were never really there. We've never considered the WNBA as part of the big five. And now all of a sudden, 
because of that tweet, it's the first major league pro sports championship. Great job, Paul. So Paul, has, <laughs> Paul Gutierrez has single-handedly elevated the WNBA. Uh, they didn't that tell me where my, to look at. Yeah, it. where's my float at? Because nobody told me I'm in the parade. You're part of the parade. <laughs> or, or you could look at it like uh, Paul just dragged us into the abyss where when we talk male and female I sports. That. I prefer yeah. that. Because male and female sports, just, the fight begins. I just want to inform, educate, yeah. tell stories. And to me, Yes, what the Aces did is probably a bigger deal than the Locos and the Dust Devils and the Silver Streaks and uh, the Stars. But now we get into the next discussion is, okay, if it's a major professional sports team, well, what happens if and when the Golden Knights win a Stanley Cup? What happens if and when the Raiders win a Super Bowl? What happens if and when an NBA team comes here and wins? How are you going to differentiate that? So by doing by the Aces calling themselves that and everybody else jumping in, now we're talking about it's a big five now all of a sudden. What about Major League Soccer? I covered the L.A. Galaxy and Chivas USA for the L.A. Times back in the day, and those those were some pretty uh, intense crowds as well, and their fan base would take a sec, would take a step back to nobody. So it's real interesting. It's it's great. It's phenomenal what's, what's going on with the ladies and, and women's sports and everything. I have a daughter who plays varsity volleyball in high school as a freshman, so I know they put in just as much, if not more, work than anybody else. They're great athletes, and as Mark Davis told me, these women are professional athletes. They should be treated as such. When it comes to WNBA, though, I don't know. When you, when they have to reschedule the parade, as I'm told, because the they've got to leave and go to their real jobs, quote-unquote, to get to Europe, uh, what does that say about the league? And then also, why are they not ch- chartering during the regular season? These ladies deserve to be treated better. Mark Davis told me that on the record as well. Um, it's just one of these weird situations where let's just celebrate it. Let's let's recognize it. Let's uh, see. Look, you guys achieved something. You ladies achieved something that nobody else in this town had. You won a WNBA title, and that's it. Number three. What a day yesterday for in-game betters, which I am one of them, although I wasn't <laughs> on all these games. ton of comebacks. Right? Falcons come back on the Rams. They fall short. Bengals come back on the Cowboys. They fall short. Jets actually win it. What? That was nuts. Over the Browns. Ravens blow it. That was unbelievable. They lose outright. And then, obviously, the other one, should we mention it? Of course, we have to. Raiders have the Cardinals come back on them. Of those games, what's the most surprising? I, I think it's the Jets inside of two minutes overcoming yeah. a 30-17 to 17 deficit with Joe freaking Flacco. <laughs> that, that was phenomenal watching the highlights of that. Uh, obviously, Willie and I were busy watching what was right in front of us with the Raiders. But, yeah, I think you're right. Within two minutes, I'm watching the highlights going, how did they pull this off? And then you see, okay, well, obviously an onside kick was involved and a couple of miracle pass plays. Yeah, Joe Flacco, uh, you know, like Mark Twain said, uh, reports of his demise are greatly exaggerated. So he was able to go out there and pull it off. And, you know, it was nice to see that. You covered the NFL court for quite some time. I'm a big history guy, like history records-wise. Yep. And people will go, oh, well, it's, a, it's a whole different team he's facing now. It's a whole different system he's facing now. Well, it's safe to say that Joe Flacco, with the years that he spent elsewhere, he's familiar with that stadium. He's familiar in playing against the Browns. So there's a sense of whether it's a different lineup, a different defense, or a different coaching staff, there's a sense of comfortability and familiarity to be able to also lead an offense against the franchise that you're used to playing. No doubt. And, and when you've been in the league as long as he has and he's won a Super Bowl, I mean, there's just a, a certain confidence that's going to come with that. So what do they always say? The NFL stands for not for long, and that yep. can stand for your career. That can stand for...
Yeah, yeah, but but that's that's the bottom line is is no game is over until it's truly over. And having covered this Raider team since 2005, I've seen some <laughs> all timers. Uh, yesterday's at the top of that list, and then whatever else happened in the rest of the NFL, take a back seat to what happened in Allegiant too. Number two. Worst collapse in history? I know by the number, the 20-point collapse is the worst, but worst collapse in Raiders history? By the numbers, yeah, and it's funny because when I saw that, I didn't realize that simply because I had seen so many others, and it brought to mind Fitzmagic two years ago when there were no fans uh. in the stadium and his head's doing the exorcist thing because Arden, Arden Key is ripping him around, and, and he still completes it to, oh, yeah, Mac Hollins, who's on the field again for the Raiders this time. Uh, there was, I, You know what? I actually I think that was worse. Yeah, that one was worse because of the suddenness of it, and and the timing. Like this, yeah. this I know they didn't do anything for two and a half quarters, but it was gradual. And I was sitting there as a fan at the game, and I'm like, uh, they're still in this because the yeah. the offense is bogged down, and Kyler Murray is a lunatic on the field. He can yeah. do this. Yeah, I think Kyler Murray just scrambled back home to Arizona himself right now in 20 seconds. But um, yeah, there's so many. There's that one. There's uh, you know the the final game in Oakland where they came from ahead to lose, where Derek Carr is called out of bounds when he truly wasn't, clearly wasn't. Uh, that one hurt. And then fans are throwing things on the field at him and at the Raiders. Uh, you know, Rolando McClain guarding Megatron deep downfield for some reason because Hugh Jackson thought it was a good idea. Blowing a 21-3 to lead at Buffalo earlier that season. And that's just recent history. This We're not talking about the tuck rule or the immaculate deception or reception, however you want to call it. That was an all-timer. And maybe it won't be if they, they can right their ship and get things going. But right here, right now, it's it's it was one of the best punches to the gut you could ever imagine. Let's get to number one on the other side. And on the way back, I want to talk about Kyler Murray and what the Raiders could have done. Was there anything they could have done on defense to slow him down? Did they have the right game plan defensively? Brought to you by Battle Born Injury Lawyers. If you've been injured, call Justin Watkins at Battle Born Injury Lawyers, 570-9000. Quick throw left side, Renfro with a catch, and he breaks one tackle. Then the ball comes out, it's loose, and it's picked up by the Cardinals in midfield. It's picked up by Byron Murphy at the 40, at the 30, at the 20, at the 10. Ball game! Byron Murphy picks up the ball at midfield, returns it for a touchdown, and the Cardinals win. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Paul Gutierrez, nice enough to hang out with us at Twin Peaks, ESPN.com, Raiders Insider. Dave Pash on the call there, another punch in the face. You have to listen to that, but good call, very good call. What did you see on that play? Which one? <laughs> there was so on, many. On the 59-yard return. I mean, that's, talk yeah. about fluky. Yeah, well, they get to that point, and again, I have a story that's coming tomorrow, not to try to scoop myself, but it's basically, it seemed to me like karma – made a made an appearance because the Raiders won so many fluky games last year. They had six, an NFL record, six walk-off wins. It's like, okay, well, karma was coming for its comeuppance. And when they get into that range, all they need is about five more yards for a gimme for Daniel Carlson. And what happened the last time we saw that? They played the Chargers last year in the finale, and Josh Jacobs just ran up the gut, boom, ball game. I'm looking for something like that instead of another pass to Hunter Renfro. So you see him get blasted you see the ball come out and then you see him gone and it's like whoa everybody's gamers just changed here we're, we're, we're riding uh up in the press box or covering or whatnot so 
it was just a strange situation to be passing the ball in that because it was only a one-yard pass anyways. What, what are you going to do with that? Right. And, and Hunter, if you look, and we looked at this today um, on the replay, it looked like two snaps earlier when Hunter fumbled the first time. It looked like he took a blow to the head from Foster Morrow, who was trying to recover the ball. So I do wonder if he was concussed before that. Oh, wow. Um, and, and he just wasn't right because three plays in a row, the Raiders should have given the ball up. The first run for a fumble, the Derek Carr inter- should have been an interception when he missed Devontae Adams so bad down the middle of the field, mm-hmm. and then the ultimate game ender right there. So a lot of fluky things, karma showing up, and these were the games that the Raiders won last year. And uh, all of a sudden, it's like, ugh, what are they doing? It's so funny. About an hour ago, we got some guys sitting next to us, and one of the guys came up, and he's like, what's going on right now with the Raiders? With my Raiders, they're supposed to be better than they were last year. And I was almost going to go into the whole sports talk thing and kind of explain what you did. Yeah. Last season was a weird season. They won a lot of close games. You know, by the numbers, and I know people hate the numbers, right. the analytics, like they really weren't a 10-7 and 7 team, and maybe some of that's going to come back on them. Right. So defensively, in the second half, especially for the last – you know, 20 minutes. Do you like what they were doing against Kyler Murray, and especially late where they weren't really rushing, you know, a bunch of folks and had, you know, more folks planted in the, the middle of the field, uh, defensive back area. Did you like what they were doing? Should they have been doing something different? I thought they should have been doing what they did in the first half because it was successful against him. Now, whether Kyler Murray just decided, you know what, I'm just going to freelance and do what I do with my legs and, and, and create, that's what he was able to do in the second half. Um it was interesting today because Josh McDaniels was asked about the pass rush, or lack thereof. Uh, the fact that Chandler Jones and Max Crosby have combined for one sack through two games, that's not a good thing. But Josh's answer was interesting, especially regarding Chandler, uh, where he said, you know, we just asked him to do a, to do things a little differently yesterday. Which, what does that mean? Just kind of setting the edge so that Kyler can't come this way? He's not rushing the passer? I don't know. That's a lot of money to pay for a guy who's 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 made his beat, his, uh, made his, uh, role in the NFL sacking quarterbacks so it just was a very strange just weird just a weird weird vibe that happened that entire second half defensively uh no I mean I felt bad for the defense they were on the field the entire second half so did they like did I like what they were doing no because it wasn't successful in the end well and the problem with that philosophy is not letting him get past that and sending him Max's way is Max is probably a little more agile and fast and his moves are fresher so what was happening was he was – Max was sending him Chandler's way, and yeah. Chandler wasn't able to catch up with him. Right. And what did we hear that Kai, uh, that um, that Cliff did with Chandler? They texted saying, don't be, be surprised if I double-team you or yeah. chip off the edge here and there. So in a sense, whatever Josh's plan was with Chandler, Max was quicker, so Kyler was just circling back around, and we saw – the uh, the two point conversion yep. we saw those they were off to whose side Chandler Jones' side yeah and and, and Max did he did get him down the one time uh, and, and he, and and he like escaped he, one and he escaped one where he literally was like okay they're gonna oh that's like Eli getting away from the Patriots in the Super Bowl before the helmet catch um, amazing amazing athleticism amazing game planning amazing everything from the shortest quarterback in the NFL who by the way was picked off by the shortest cornerback in the NFL too uh, Amik <laughs> yesterday too so. Just a lot of strange things, a lot of fun things that happen. I got to give credit, though, real quick. That video we were talking about earlier where uh, it looked like Hunter Renfro got hit in the head two plays prior. Kevin Bollinger from uh, Fox 5A, because he was the one that actually showed that to me in the press room today, that he thought that might be the case. Tyler Murray got hit by a fan. 
<laughs> yeah. Have not, you watched the video? Because one of the uh, Arizona media dudes was right yes. down there, and I don't know. I could see it pretty clearly. I could see a guy in a gray shirt yep. raise his arm up and kind of do a MMA hammer fist, and he he got him on the head. I think there was intent. Yeah, there's no doubt, and and it's it's one of those things where what are you thinking? And it's in the win club, so you know the guy was served <laughs> fairly well there. But if you can afford to be in those seats, what are you doing? What are you doing anyway? Um, and you see Kyler's reaction. It's like he almost seemed in shock. Wait a minute, did you just hit me? Yeah. And then he tries to go after him, and he's pulled away, and police are investigating it. So not a good look, not a good thing. Emotions are already high. And I thought it was strange that Kyler would run over to in a, an away game for him, but it looked like – he knew these guys. They were wearing Cardinal jerseys and Cardinal gear anyway, and he was hugging and celebrating with them, and the fist came out of the, that, the slap came out of nowhere. So it's not a good look. Do they need to get rid of the win club? Is it too much no. fan access, or is, no. or, or is it on the – because I've seen no. some people on Twitter who are like, well, that's, let's have a normal end zone. I'm like, I guess. I mean, I guess you could take away the uniqueness no. of the stadium. And, because and you guys – and because one person misbehaved, you know, have the fans up 15 feet higher, right. which I actually think is kind of a crappy atmosphere. In, in, in today's NFL, they're going to be able to find out who this guy is. And I'm sure if somebody already knows who it is, the Raiders are going to deal with it. He'll probably get banned for life, if not for <laughs> more than that. But it, it's no, you don't need to get rid of that yet. The fact that, you know, it was funny, though, at one point where you saw them spraying champagne bottles uh, after a, a Raider score earlier in the game. It's, it's a different vibe. You go in that place, it, it, it has a nightclub feel, and that lends itself to it. You go into SoFi, I don't like SoFi at all. And uh, it's just so sterile and big to be big. There's no real good feeling to it. And the fact that they have artificial turf in L.A. just blows my mind, too. Uh, Allegiant is so much better, so much nicer, and it's definitely got a different vibe to it. But uh, when games end like that, you're going to have some shock reactions. And it was a long game, too, so how yeah. much are those people drinking? Was Derek Carr good yesterday, and what did you think of the ball distribution? We made a big deal of week one where Devontae Adams got 17 targets, and then they really had trouble getting the ball to Devontae yesterday. Yes and no. He looked great in the first half. He was carrying out Josh McDaniel's uh, game plan to perfection, in my opinion, by spreading the ball out. They're running the ball. Josh Jacobs is running downhill and running angry. Uh, and Derek, I mean, who would have thought if you had Matt Collins as your leading receiver in the first half, uh, what does that tell you? You know. And then you figure, okay, well, now he's going to go home. He's going to get Devontae and, and get things involved. And, again, one of those things, was it the play call? Um, one of my questions coming up here is going to be, does Derek have the same freedom at the line of scrimmage to change a play as he did under John Gruden? Mm-hmm. Because if he does, okay, well, now we're talking about something entirely different. Right. If he doesn't, well, then that's about nothing but about the play calling. Right, and that's and that was something that we talked to Derek about Wednesday. Yeah. And, you know, I know go walking up to the line of scrimmage, what's going to take place, what I'm going to do. You talk about the distribution. As far as the targeting, uh, Renfro was targeted ten times. Waller and Matt Collins eight times, and Devontae Adams seven times. Adams with only two receptions. One, obviously, the one we talked about just a minute ago, right. Adams, I mean, he was through behind him. Right. Um, so, I mean, the balance was there a little bit more. The first half, obviously, they, they, they had that game plan to go to Matt Collins, obviously. Um, but I, I think that they, they, did, they did a decent enough effort to spread it out a little bit. Um, I think that the plan was deliberate. But whatever that it is that they discussed or thought that they was gonna was gonna work in the second half, it didn't, because right. it, it it completely smacked them in the face. And I have to say that it was the adjustments in the play calling that came back to haunt them 
not necessarily the execution. You're not going to tell me if, – if you're going to tell me that it was the execution part of it, well, we got to go out and do better, wait a minute. You, you are the OC for the most successful franchise over the past couple of decades. Yeah. You can't make adjustments against Arizona, whatever they're planning on doing. Then there's a problem. Right. If that's what indeed was happening. The other part of that, too, is really, to me, the game, you, you sense the momentum shift, obviously, uh, after Arizona got within eight, with eight yeah. minutes to go. Yeah. Raiders go three and out. And I believe it was on three little dink passes. It's mm-hmm. like, whoa, 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 what, what is going on here? And that's when I went, uh-oh. That's when my spidey senses started tingling, and I'm like, I've seen this movie before. Hey, and we talked about balance with passing. Yeah. Last week, two running backs were used. Yeah. One was out this week. Jacobs, 19 attempts. Zamir White, one. Derek Carr, one. This was an amazement that they were keeping six running backs running back by committee. Yeah. Where are your other guys, right? So let's talk about balance. We're going to talk about balance with the passing game. You balance it out a little bit better targeting this. Uh, let's use some of those running backs that you kept. But also at the same time, each play, each game is a season into itself, right? Right. Each series is a game into itself. Right. So it depends. By, and again, to me, there's always a fine line. I had this conversation with Amari Cooper years ago. Al Davis's mantra was, you know, people talk about, well, we'll take what the defense gives us, but no, our mindset is we're going to take what we want. How fine is that line between both of those those thought processes? And, and you know, you saw that yesterday, which is, were, were they playing to win? Were they playing not to lose after having that 20 to nothing lead? It's just one of those situations where you're trying to figure out, they're trying to figure each other out. Yeah. It's a new system. It's a new coach. It's a new regime. The difference between this and what happened when John Gruden came in, John Gruden came in and took over a team that had been a 12-win team two years prior, needed, a sh- needed to be shiny, shining up a little bit, waxed up. Instead, he took a wrecking ball to it. This team, McDaniels and Ziegler come in, and they, they kind of shine it up a little bit, add a couple pieces here and there, and it's not really working either, at least through two games. Very small sample size, but a lot of cause for concern because, again, each game is a season unto itself. There he is, Paul Gutierrez. Paul, we appreciate all the time you gave us today. Absolutely, guys. Thanks for having me. We'll go to break here. JBT's up in about 12 minutes. We'll go through the uh, betting action on Sunday, a little college football, and also look ahead to week three in the NFL. This Wednesday, Cofield and Company is live at the Plaza Pool for Bikini Tug of War. Come watch the weigh-in at 3. The tug starts at 4 at the Plaza Pool with ESPN Las Vegas. You're listening to Cofield and Company, live at Twin Peaks. Gambling wrap of the weekend coming up with John Von Tobel from VSIN. So what do you think is going to happen here, Willie, with this jackass who was in the uh, wind club area who appeared to take a swipe and nail Kyler Murray? Well... When I first heard about this, um, I was texted last night in the press box, and I was told that the people that screen the athletes to get on the bus before they get to, I think they do a screening to sort of help expedite them getting to the airport, getting on, almost like a pre-security type check, right? Get them all get ready to go. From my understanding, they were waiting on Kyler Murray. And, and one of the persons said, 
we're going to have we're going to have a, we're going to be waiting here a minute because he's filing a police report. It's going to take about 30 35 minutes and then moments later he showed up. So they thought that he didn't file it and that because it was going to take so long he blew it off whatever. Now he was upset and one of them, one of the people that texted me said I talked to them on the phone said that he was he was irate. And then one of the players was like, "Well, what'd you tell him? What'd you say?" He said, "I told him I'd be back." You know, but whatever. I mean, that's in the heat of the moment. It's not like he threatened anybody. Anyway, now with what I'm reading from my AP uh, colleagues, because we had the story ready to go, but we weren't going to put it out until we had confirmation from the police. So the police confirmed today in that they're investigating, and there was a battery report. There was something filed. I don't know if that was from stadium security or Kyler Murray himself. The fact that there is a report, if there is a report, and they're investigating, and they deem they can actually charge this guy with assault, right? I mean, you see it. It's not. It's not right. I know we spoke to uh, who was it? We spoke to Eric Sanders and Fred Sanders, or Frank Sanders, and he was like, "Yeah, that happens." No, it doesn't, and it's it's not right. So, um, I believe that because it's the Win Club and they have video. And I, I'm guessing that there's got to be some way. We get scanned every step of the way as media members. Our barcodes are scanned. I'm guessing that there's got to be there's going to be enough video footage. This dude will be banned from the stadium. He's def- obviously not going back to the wing club. They're definitely not going to shut down the wing club. Otherwise, they better shut down the Lambo leaps and the dog pound in Cleveland because those guys are drunk. They're pouring beers on people. You're not telling me that they're not pow- – this guy's just got to be banned. If he gets charged – Wherever it goes, he's gonna. He's either gonna get a fine. He's gonna. I mean, I can't imagine he's gonna do time, but he's definitely gonna get disciplined. Yeah, there has to be zero tolerance and stuff like this. Absolutely. And the Raiders need to use it as an example. We have cameras everywhere, so behave yourselves. Yeah. Now the the, the terrible thing out of this is you're gonna have the rest of the country go. Yep, typical Raiders fans, which is. Far from the truth, I was at the game yesterday. I was in Section 118, about 20 rows up. I bought some tickets from a friend. And I, you know what? It's the first game I've attended here as a, as a fan. And I looked around, and I was like, this is this section, I was like, this is kind of family-friendly. Like, I, like, it was a lot of families. It was a lot of older folks. Yeah. They just enjoyed the game. But, of course, the image of the Raider fan is the idiot who's trying to, you know, freaking punch someone or fighting each other. You know, in L.A. or fighting, beating up Charger fans. Not every Raiders fan is like that. No. It's, it's, uh, it's pretty far from the and truth. And the fact... Join the conversation on Twitter at ESPN Las Vegas. He has so many flashes. Shannon, are you now a little more sold on Kyler? No. They were down 20 to nothing with 8 minutes, 25 seconds to go in the third quarter. We hadn't got to the halfway point. Because what have we seen in Kyler Murray's career once he gets to the halfway point? Numbers do this. His body starts to do that. He gets dinged. He gets nicked. So I'm not finna say, oh, is Kyler back or the Cardinals back? No. Talk to me week 12. It's Cofield and Company's Eye on Sports Betting with John Von Tobel. JVT is here from VSIN. John, you heard Shannon Sharp coming back. Is he right? Hold off on buying into Kyler Murray? I mean, I would say so, kind of. I mean, it depends on, like, I always hate conversations like that because, like, what is buying in? To what extent are we talking about? Are we talking about, like, Hall of Famer? Like, no, probably not. Are we talking about starting quarterback in the National Football League that with the right pieces can lead you to, like, pretty, like, somewhat great heights, maybe a Super Bowl run if everything goes right? I think you can kind of buy into that. Top 12 quarterback who's really dangerous in game if he's down for betters? 
I'd have to go through the top 12, like, off the top of my head. I would say right. he's on the fringes, but probably not. I mean, what happened yesterday was, yes, he was great in the comeback. But, like, for example, like the two-point conversion, right? Was that Tyler, or was that Kyler Murray being great? Or was that Kyler Murray facing, like, two or three rushers, getting a whole bunch of time and using his athleticism when he had, like, 20 seconds? It was like, screw it, let me just run it into the end zone. You know, getting the ball back because the Raiders were kind of weird with their game plan and deciding to pass it quite a bit and letting the clock stop as opposed to kind of trying to run it out and milk it. Like, is that Kyler Murray or is that things going right for them? You know what I mean? John was hanging out yesterday at Crazy Horse 3. They do a silver and black after party right across from the stadium. Another one coming up in a couple of weeks. John, were you talking to a Cardinals fan? So, you no, know, get this. He was a Cardinals fan. Him and his buddy had come from Australia. They had come all the way out here to watch the game. Uh, but the best part is, so we were sitting outside yesterday. So I had my laptop up. We were watching the end of the Cardinals game. Guy walks up, and he's, yeah, he's had a few, quite a few. And <laughs> he's got a Cardinals jersey on. It's a little too tight for him. But he comes up, and he's, he's sad. And I'm like, what are you sad about? He's like, well, you know, the Cardinals, they lost. I'm like, no, we're watching the end of the game, man. Like, it was, it was the last drive. It was the last play. And he goes, no, nah, no, nah, you're wrong. They, 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 being the Raiders fans, they told us it was over. And I'm like, no, look. And I had to flip the screen around and show it to this guy who had flown all the way out from Australia to Las Vegas to watch the Cardinals, and he left the game early. Wow. Bro, what are you doing? Uh, you yeah. sent over a note, John, about Josh McDaniels. You said Willie's guy, Josh McDaniels, flubs <laughs> again. What do you mean by that? Well, Willie dislikes the uh, – right? It was uh, Josh McDaniels who Willie was unhappy with after week one. I would assume that he's very unhappy after week two because we disagreed on – you know, the blame game in week one. But, Willie, I mean, I got to think when you watch this last week, it, this falls completely into Josh McDaniel's lap. 100%. 100%. Play calling. Terrible. What they what they ended up doing in the second half, I mean, you can point to execution all you want, but as our good buddy Paul Gutierrez pointed out earlier, last year in the playoff clinching game, they needed to get in field goal position, punched it up the get with up the gut with Josh Jacobs, getting in a favorable position. Even though you are already in field goal position with a guy like Carlson, what did they do yesterday? Pass to Renfro, fumble. Morrow gets it back. Throw behind Devontae Adams. Pass to Hunter Renfro. Fumble. Walk off. Run. Why not just run it up the gut, get in a little bit of a more favorable position, and let Carlson bring it home. Yeah, I, like, I don't think there's really any arguing whose fault it is when you watch that. And, like, yeah, Willie, there was the – I think they had a three and out late in the game where it was pass, yep. pass, pass, clock stops, so you don't burn any time off of it. Like, it's just those are the things that when you look at it from a game plan standpoint, like, you got to be able – like, that is a big issue. And even if you're going to throw it, like, I don't even mind the throwing it. But if you're going to throw it when you have to bleed the clock, make it easy completions, right? Make it – they're going to be high percentage type of throws that guys are going to catch it, be able to get down and bounce, things like that. That's where I kind of have an issue. Because you mentioned that they were getting somewhat aggressive in the play calling in terms of throwing it downfield, when in reality, all you needed was some easy completions and to run the ball to most clock. But I think if you're looking at this one for sure, I think McDaniel's got to do a little bit of reflection as to what happened in that game plan and why they blew that leak. And a lot of it had to do with the way they were running their offense down the stretch. What results surprised you the most yesterday? And I, I mean, I guess you could say the Jets, but I think you were still high on the Jets. And that's also an in-game situation. Was there a performance yesterday where you're like, wow, I did not see that coming? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of the Jets mainly because if Nick Chubb goes down for that touchdown, there's a really good shot they win that game, right? That kind of goes to game situational awareness and whatnot. And, you know, like that was kind of surprising just given the probability of the Browns winning in the situation. I would say, I mean, the Cardinals are there, but that comeback from Miami was wild, man. 
Like, the way that offense looks kind of dead and how Tua Tungabailoa looks like Tua Tungabailoa. I think it's like two touchdowns, two interceptions at one point. It just looked really mundane yet again. But, man, Tyreek Hill and Jalen Waddle, like, that's kind of what you expected from Miami when McDaniel came over. That was a great performance. Yep, just get him the ball. Uh, Lions, you know, until they let the commanders back in the game, that, that was pretty dominant early on. Yeah, you know, I'm actually kind of surprised because I kind of think that when you look at Dan Campbell and, like, and the way he kind of handles things, it, I, guess, I don't want to be too rude, but it's almost caveman-esque, right? Like, it doesn't seem there's like a lot of nuance there. But that team fights, man. Like, they are, there is something to be said for a team that really likes their coach and the environment that they're in and just doesn't really quit and just keeps continuing to kind of grind at things. And the Lions, let's be fair, too. The Lions have quietly put together like a solid roster. You know, they, we, I actually thought they were going to be a little bit better, but the offensive line issue has been a really big problem for them. I think they had a guy start along the offensive line last year. It was like his first start in like a six-year career or something like that. Was, um, but regardless, the roster looks pretty good, and it's starting to come together. And I'm ready to be wrong that Dan Campbell is actually maybe the guy to do it. Not everything has to be analytics and numbers, Steve. Oh, wow, look at you. Look at you <laughs> wagging your finger at uh, analytics people. John Von Tobel is with us from VSIN, part of the company. Jaguars destroying the Colts. Yeah. Surprising? Yeah. No. So it, I think the degree to which it happened is, but I'll say this. So there are times, and I'll bring this back to the preseason. So there are times like during the preseason, right, where you see things and people are like, oh, don't freak out. Don't freak out. Like, it's just the preseason. But sometimes things in the preseason bleed over. And you're seeing that with Indy. Like, this offense, this offense stinks. Matt Ryan looks old. And when you watch them in the preseason, it was like average depth of target of five yards, little dink and dunk passes, no real explosiveness with the offense. The wide receivers seem to be a little bit of a problem. And yes, yesterday, the top two receivers and Pierce and Pittman aren't playing. Shaquille Leonard's not playing. You know, you're missing a whole bunch of guys, right, and really key pieces for you. But at the same time, Matt Ryan still looks like Matt Ryan. And that offense and that passing attack still looks the way that it did. And it's the same thing as last week against Houston. You know, they got really short fields because of turnovers against the Houston Texans. They couldn't do anything with them overall, and then ultimately end up tying. And then you get what happened yesterday. Are they better than what they've shown the first few weeks? I, like, I think a little bit, yeah, especially if they're going to be fully healthy. But, like, did I watch these two and think, man, a team that I thought had the potential to, you know, have a really good season, finish with a top seed, and maybe, like, flame out in the first round because they weren't as good as the record would expect? That, that, that's kind of gone out the window at this point. Speaking of the Jonathan Von Tobel, Vincent, and of course a member of the company, JVT, I got to ask you because you know you. I mean, I would consider you a sharp. You know what you're doing, and the, those early numbers right off the shoot, you know, those are the ones you want to look at the value. I was a little. I don't know if I was surprised. I don't know what I made of this, but uh, the Tennessee Titans are playing right now, and as I see it across the board, they're getting one from the Las Vegas Raiders after yesterday's collapse of the 0 2 team. Oh, are they? Uh, I didn't see the, the line for next week. Cause I, is, so are they a one point favorite? Raiders are minus one at Tennessee. Get out of here. That seems, look, <laughs> so home field, home field is not worth that much in the NFL at this point right now. You know, if, if you take the results of the game so far, it's worth nothing. Actually, a half point, sorry. Uh, according to my spreadsheet, guys, which is just the median result of all the games. Um, and if you use for last year, it's one and a half points. But still, like, I'm not, like, like last week, yesterday, right, I was on the Cardinals. Was I lucky to get out of there? Yes. But at the same time, was five and a half still, I think, strong, even given the 20 to nothing, you know, halftime lead and everything that transpired after that? I, I still think so. Like, the Raiders are highly priced to an extent. The team's very anti-Titan more than anything else. But I, I would expect, 
obviously it depends on the result here really tonight, that that's yeah. going to flip the Titans being favored in that game. Yeah. You got to play for the second game tonight, Vikings-Eagles? I, I used the Vikings in the contest, Steve, so I took two with them. I'm sitting on a two in two weeks. So hopefully I can eat out another three and two like last week. Uh, but this is kind of just playing like these first few weeks of the season, I kind of just follow along with my prior assumptions for some of these teams. And I think the Vikings are an undervalued team. I bet them to win the NFC North. I bet them in that first game against the, the Packers. I'm going to bet them here again against the Eagles team that I think showed some flaws with their defense early in that game against the Lions. I think this Vikings team is legitimately good. And I think they're like an 11, 12-win team if everything goes right for them with how good this offense can be and how good Justin Jefferson can be. So I grabbed two with the uh, the Minnesota Vikings in the contest. And that's sort of sitting on here. And then from an actual betting perspective, a wait-in game. Hopefully they go down maybe on the first drive and I can grab something a little bit bigger with them. Well, let me go ahead and give you something for next week that you could just take this one to the bank right now, okay? Oh. <laughs> My Houston Texans that I'm going to win a bet against, uh, Cofield against, getting two and a half at Chicago. Lovey Smith returning. The Texans are going to go in there and win that game outright. Just letting you know. Yeah, you know, I, I would actually, I wouldn't argue with it. Uh, I think the Texans actually <laughs> have some pretty good talent along the edge, and I thought that offensive line at Chicago, like their, their flaws showed a little bit yesterday, but at the same time, uh, they get a favorable ruling. It's a seven-point game with, what, like six minutes left to go, and anything could happen last night. But uh, I wouldn't disagree wholeheartedly, Willie. College football results with John Von Tobel from this last week. I told you, SC, easy game. They're going to roll by Fresno. Yeah, I don't even remember you saying that. Oh, uh, I did. Oh, I did. Yeah, laying 11 and a half, 12, and, you know, yeah. uh, Fresno. Just, uh, well, actually, Fresno was in the game. Yeah, I was going to say, Jake Hanner will go down in the third quarter and once they get into USC territory. Like, So this is the thing. So I've bet against USC each the last two weeks, and I've been burned each the last two weeks. But I'm going to die on the hill saying that this team, from a defensive standpoint especially, continues to get lucky. The Rice the rice game, where they get three pick sixes, they get three turnovers inside the 20-yard line. Stanford, again, they get two turnovers inside the 20-yard line. Actually, I think it was inside the 10-yard line for Stanford. And then yesterday, excuse me, Saturday, Jake Hayner and the, the, the Bulldogs are down by 11. They get the U.S. territory. What happens? He gets back to first ankle. They go on to get blown out. Like, the turnover differential is insane. The points on turnovers are insane. But they continue to pull it off. So maybe once they start to play like a better opponent, they get Oregon State this week. Maybe that Utah game is coming up in a couple of weeks. That's going to be the spot for me to take my shot again. But I think I'm going to, I'm going to lick my wounds on trying to get a, go against USC at this point because I have not had luck in my favor. I don't want to speak on Hayner's injury without fully knowing because I wasn't watching the game at that point. I assume it wasn't a non-contact injury like he got some contact. Yeah, he got he got sacked if I remember correctly. Okay, so uh, I just yeah. want to throw out, I want to throw out there, John. I did say multiple times last week on the air that I don't like the Fresno offensive line, and that yep. Hayner has been running for his life. And I, you know, I don't whatever their thinking was. You know, their left tackle Dante Bowles on the right side now. In the first couple of games I watched, I'm like, my God, Hayner is running all the time for his life. Now, I do remember you saying that, and, and that is a very fair criticism of Fresno State. And, yeah, it burned them, so we'll see what happens because that's a promising team, and if that's going to be something that hampers them for about a month or two, uh, a team that I have a 3-1 to ticket on the win to Mount West is uh, hanging on by a, uh, by a string. Last minute here, uh, staying in the Mount West, San Diego State. Boy, oh, boy. I mean, they didn't even come close to covering that game against Utah, getting 21. Yep, yep. And like I said, man, like this friend, the, the teams in, at the top of the Mount West, heck, we saw Air Force lose that right to Wyoming, and now all of a sudden you look around and you see UNLV team that's two and one and playing some pretty good offense. I like not to say that they can win the conference, but the conference does look pretty wide open, especially with Hainer's injury at, at, uh, at quarterback. Man, it seems pretty interesting the way the Mount West is falling around. John, we appreciate it. Thank you. Good, good to talk to you guys. Thank you.
There it is, John Von Tobel. Now, I backed you down earlier in the show on the Mountain West is wide open. It, it actually, it kind of is. Um, I expected Wyoming to give Air Force a tough time on Friday. I didn't expect an outright win. San Diego State looks a little bit down. We'll see what Utah State does responding. We know Nevada is kind of scuffling the last couple times out. Tough spot at Iowa. It's going to make for a fun year. Mount West is going to be wild this year. You like to back me down when I step on your territory because it's you're not, the sideline guy. You're the Mountain no, West. No, no, but, 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 but I'm going to tell you right now, uh, I'll give you a game. I like San Diego State against Toledo, plus the points at home. All right. Twin Peaks, the location here in Las Vegas for Monday Night Football. It's on Eastern. Come on down. Hang with Willie Ramirez. He's got a ton of prizes. Great specials at Twin Peaks as well.